Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. I'm Liza Berger, editor of McKnight's Home Care. Many adults suffer from food insecurity. Fortunately, more and more Medicare Advantage plans are offering food and produce as a non-medical supplemental benefit. Lauren Driscoll, CEO of Nourished Rx, and Andy Friedel, COO of the Helper Bees, talk to me about healthcare's move to recognize nutrition as a key driver of health outcomes. Lauren and Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here. So Lauren, tell us a little bit about Nourished Rx and your relationship, your company's relationship with Helper Bees. Sure, happy to. So Nourished Rx is a digital health and nutrition platform. And we basically, our platform enables us to deliver personalized and culturally concordant food to people, along with the tools that really support lasting dietary behavior change. And we have really enjoyed contracting with Helper Bees over the last couple of years now, actually, to support many of the members whom they serve with the delivery of prepared meals, grocery bundles, some cases pantry kits, and accompanying nutrition information, meal prep guidance, shopping guidance, et cetera. Perfect. Andy, tell us from your perspective on the helper bee side, how a member might end up choosing the Nourished Rx option. Sure. So at the Helper Bees, we are a platform that helps payers manage a really diverse range of services into the home, sort of a one-stop shop. And so typically through our arrangements with health plans, the plan might give the member an allowance that the member can use to spend on a variety of different services that are all kind of curated and selected to help promote independence at home. So they might think about wanting a companion, they might need a ride to an appointment, but certainly food is front and center in terms of the needs that many of these members have. And so our team is really always looking for the best partners in each of these different areas so that we have a really high quality and diverse marketplace that our members can select from. And so I was really glad to meet Lauren and her team several years ago and just love the work that they do for our members and our health plans members, because it gives the member an opportunity to not just get groceries or get a delivery of some food related item to the home, but to really engage with somebody on the team who's an expert who can help them design a meal plan that is tailored to their condition and then support them with meal kits or deliveries and just really then follow up to make sure that it isn't just sort of checking a box, but it's really solving a bigger problem the member might have. The last time the three of us talked was a very happy occasion. The Helper Bees, with the support of Nourished Rx, delivered more than 30,000 meals to older adults at home. So what does this milestone mean to you? Lauren, let's start with you. Yeah, for sure. Well, what I love about it is that we know that food and nutrition insecurity is just a pervasive problem in the United States. There are about 40 million people who live in poverty in our country and are highly likely to be food and nutrition insecure. And older adults in particular can get isolated and that can exacerbate uh, food and nutrition insecurity. So I just love the thought of all of these people that we have collectively 
touched and supported with healthy food and with support to become more able to navigate what is a difficult food environment because of the information and the skills that we've been able to impart. Candy, for your part, how significant is this milestone? Yeah, it's just a great milestone to see. And when I first was talking to Lauren about it, 30,000 is a big number and the number by itself is impressive. But what really started to kind of occur to me was to think about behind each one of those meals is a story that really affected somebody's day or point in time. And maybe they were having a bad day and this meal was an opportunity for improvement of their circumstances, or maybe they have a great day and the meal, something to celebrate around. But each one of them was a story, I'm sure. And it's just really great to think about that. I look at it like individual little milestones kind of in this path that we're on in terms of looking at healthcare as more than just a hospital or a, a medicine. That's sick care and really starting to think about healthcare more holistically around members' needs and food is just such a central part of that. So I think about it as those milestones and also milestones for Medicare to be looking at a much broader mandate towards helping to promote independence at home. So as you mentioned, Andy, we now know very clearly, and the government as well, that these social determinants of health, like nutrition, make a difference in someone's acute health, whether they go to the hospital or rebound to the hospital. Why do you think it took so long? This is sort of intuitive, right? It's kind of common sense, but why did it take so long for the government to figure it out? Well, I think that there is a lot of complexity that goes into organizing services into the home. It's much easier to organize services in a facility when you can kind of centralize all of the delivery of that into one building. When you organize services into the home, a member doesn't just need a single service like food. They likely need a lot of different services in order to be independent at home at one time. They will need them perhaps in different order or different priority. And then there is the factor that in their market, there is probably varying qualities of all these different providers. And so, and then those providers document their services different ways and with different proficiency. And so I think there's a lot of complexity to be able to organize the services, certainly a lot of challenges to be able to get data back from the services that you can measure. So I think it just takes time. And I think by opening the door and starting to promote these services, they're seeding the initiatives like this, where you can begin to measure the impact. You can begin to look at ways to improve the delivery, the administrative complexity, make it more simpler, get the data standardized. And that's kind of the foundation you need to have in place in order to be able to measure and demonstrate the value that we all intuitively believe to be there around these services. Lauren, has it been frustrating for you in a certain way that this idea has only sort of begun to catch on? Or is it just very gratifying that we know more and we're acting on it? Well, I would say it's high time. And so I'm glad that the healthcare regulatory system, as well as managed care and just healthcare delivery at large, is finally recognizing how foundational food and nutrition is to health. And yeah, I mean, what's frustrating is just how out of control and how bad it has gotten. There was a recent study that showed just the dip in the American lifespan 
And really the primary driver of that is poor nutrition and diet-related disease. So it's a shame that problems had to get so out of hand for the solution to circle around. And then the other piece, obviously, is healthcare disparities. Finally, there's a focus on health equity. And so focusing on trying to eliminate disparities between different sort of dimensions of our population is critical and so closely tied to food and nutrition security. So yeah, so I'd say it's both. It's like, finally, it's come. Finally, there's an opportunity. But yes, frustrating that it's taken as long as it has. And I really credit the shift away from fee-for-service medicine that really rewards lots of reactive sick care, the shift to value-based care, which just naturally aligns the payer incentives to be investing in prevention as opposed to reactive sick care. Yeah, Alperbees does a lot of work with MA plans. What about traditional Medicare, Andy? To what extent are you partnering with them or is the model just a little bit too outdated to work with them at this point? Our relationships presently are with MA plans, but you do see some of this innovation seeding on the fee-for-service side as well. The guide model is an interesting project that CMS is beginning to seed now for individuals who struggle with dementia and cognitive conditions. And so that'll be interesting to watch because there will be an incentive through programs like that for providers who are participating in those initiatives to make similar investments that are like those that MA plans are making in some of these social support services. Hmm. Food is absolutely popular with MA plans. It is the most popular special supplemental benefit for the chronically ill. And this year, a total of 929 plans are offering food and produce. Lauren, you've talked about it, but why is it that people on MA can choose different options? Why do they want food? Well, I think it goes back to how pervasive a problem food insecurity is. The bottom line is the pervasive poverty that's in low socioeconomic areas really discourages the private food sector from offering healthful options. And so we have so many people in the country who don't have great access to healthy food, and it's a struggle for them. They have to travel far, or they're not enrolled in the federal or state programs that would support them to have the resources to be purchasing online and have food delivered. So I think that it's just a need. I mean, it's just so foundational forget your health, just your broader whole health and your well-being to be able to eat food that satisfies you. So I guess I'm not surprised, but again, it's a function of what we were talking about earlier, just the pervasiveness of food and nutrition and security in our country. What do you see happening with food as a supplemental benefit coming up in 2024? Is it growing? I'm sure it will be growing. I think that data's out and I don't have it on the tip of my tongue, but the trend has been consistent. I'm sure it will be growing. What I do know is growing is the use of over-the-counter cards, OTC cards, and expanding the ability of individuals to use that for healthy food beyond OTC purchases in a drugstore, for example. Yeah, Andy. 
We have talked about how MA plans are getting more sophisticated in the delivery of benefits to members. Maybe this OTC card that Lauren mentioned is one of them. Tell me more about what's the latest and greatest about how MA plans are offering these incentives that members are really picking up on. Yeah, for sure. I look at for all of the flaws that I think we recognize in our healthcare system, I'm an optimist. And I think one thing we do well is innovate. There's quite a bit of innovation that you see across our healthcare system. And we've seen that in this space taking place over the last few years since CMS offered this additional flexibility for plans to cover some of these services in the home. You've seen that growth that you referenced, and that growth hasn't been static. It's contained quite a bit of innovation inside of it. Lauren's team, great example in terms of thinking about new and better ways to really build meal planning and think about food as part of the healthcare process. We've seen it also, though, in terms of plans innovating in how they allocate these benefits. When the benefits were first offered back in 2019, you had very much kind of a unit of service type allocation. A member might get a certain number of meals or a certain number of rides or hours of companionship. But what's trended over the last few years is plans moving away from that towards a member allowance, a more member-directed program. And it's just recognizing that members don't have a single need. They don't have a need for rides or a need for meals. They have different needs that change from time to time, and they might involve multiple services. So giving the member an allowance that they can spend is allowing members to take a much more active role in that. So whether it's an OTC card or a flex card or the type of digital wallet that our team offers, which is more like a flex card for services or a virtual flex card for services instead of for goods, those kinds of programs are fairly innovative and they're letting plans or letting their members just become much more active in designing the type of services they need. And we actually see it making an impact on fulfillment as well. When you look at the level of fulfillment of services in some of those older unit of service programs, and then you look forward at these member-directed programs, fulfillment is actually close to double. And Lauren, for your part, what do you find is most popular in terms of maybe the type of food that people want or the type of delivery they're looking for? What's trending right now? Well, I think in our program with helper bees, we get a real mix. We have certain people who really appreciate prepared meals. Some prefer meal kits. Some prefer grocery bundles. But I guess I would say what is most common is really a combination of all of them. It's one of the things I really like about what we do is nobody wants to eat medically tailored meals all day long, every day. Everyone would like to have some variation. And so I think our ability to provide a combined delivery is really appealing. And indeed, with some of our other programs that are more disease management focused, we actually will use the progression of different formats of food. So starting with prepared meals to make it easy, shifting to meal kits, then shifting to grocery bundles. We use that really as experiential education to support an individual's ability to really be able to navigate the food environment and preparation of food and knowledge about nutrition. To sum it up, I would say that variability is key. It's just naturally what people would prefer. 
Right. We don't like to eat the same thing every day. We don't like to order out every day either. Right, right. So I just have one final question, and that is, what's next for you in terms of your goals of what you're looking to accomplish in 2024? I want to see another 30,000 meals or more for sure. But I think we look at this trend continuing. We look at members having access to this broad range of services, having access to the type of choice that Lauren just described, but then doing it in a managed framework that allows you to collect the data from all these interactions so that it becomes measurable. And that kind of goes back to your point earlier, it will reinforce the continued growth of this and the progression of these services inside healthcare, because with the data, we'll start to be able to measure the value, demonstrate the value, and it will be easier for CMS and plans and others to make those decisions to invest further in them. Terrific. Lauren, you get the final word. Sure. So for us, I guess I would say it's two things that we're looking forward to next year. One is just the continued refinement and development of our technology to improve efficiency and therefore enable personalization at scale. And then the other, which dovetails with that, is the more members we're serving, in particular geographic regions, the more we can partner with culturally concordant partners. So there's just nothing better than being able to show a member that you understand and respect their culture and you're able to provide genuinely culturally concordant food that's actually developed in a particular geography. Well, Lauren Driscoll of Nourished Rx, Andy Friedel of The Helper Bees, it's been a great conversation as always. Great, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.